You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz Academy Jobscast. I'm James Batchelor, Editor-in-Chief of GamesIndustry.biz, and this is the first part of a special four-part series exploring the world of recruitment in the video games industry. This is part of our Get a Job in Games Month, during which we will be sharing careers advice and in-depth guides to securing a role in key positions, all on the Academy section of the GamesIndustry.biz, and we'll be drawing attention to our shiny new jobs board, where you can find the latest vacancies. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be hosting roundtable discussions on the podcast feed that delve into specific areas of games recruitment. But today, we're going to be offering an overview of the challenges studios face in finding the right talent in 2021. Joining me for this discussion is Agathe Fale, recruiter at Square Enix Montreal. Agathe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Tamsin Olunig, Chief People Officer at Endreams. Tamsin, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. And Sarah Burns, Head of Production and Operations at Marvelous Europe. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Right. I'm going to start by each asking each of you to tell us a little bit about what you do on a kind of a day-to-day basis in your position in, in terms of recruitment and your company's approach to recruitment in general. Um, Agat, let's start with you. Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I've been working at Swainix Montreal for two years now, and I, I have a background in uh, recruiting for IT consulting companies. Uh, so I was pretty familiar with the you know, mostly programming position, not so much art and design. And we recruit a large range of, uh, of jobs at Scranix Montreal. Um, so my day-to-day, um, basically my time, you know, is split between lots of Zoom meetings, too many of them, um, sourcing candidates, um, doing interviews, having talks with managers to understand what they're what they're looking for and yeah that's uh, that's about it we've been working remotely for more than a year now still no plans to to reopen uh, we're waiting for the situation to to get better and yeah that's uh, that's about it in montreal there's lots of lots of uh, video game studios so lots of competition so my job is getting harder and harder as the time as time goes goes by Nice. I was going to touch on that a little bit later. Um, Sarah, what's your role when it comes to recruitment? Because uh, it's kind of buried within your uh, your job title there. Yes. So I'm so head of production operations at Marvelous Europe. So we're yeah we're a small team, and currently, when when we look to to hire, we look in our in our networks and we work with recruiters to find uh, suitable candidates. Nice. Um, Tamsin, what about yourself? Chief People Officer. It's one of those jobs I'm seeing a lot more across the industry, but I always wonder what it actually means. Are you are you chief of the people? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like to think so. Although other people call me C3PO. So, uh, <laughs> um, so I mean, I've been with Endream since the start. I'm one of the co-founders. Um, but primarily my, my function right now is... Um, it could be named anything. It could be head of talent. It could be head of HR, head of people. Um, but primarily, I've got three functions that work uh, with me. I've got HR, learning and development, and I've got recruitment. And um, ultimately, I'm responsible for the, the people area of the business. So um, my HR team look after um, employee relations, onboarding, offboarding, um, compensation and benefits, that kind of thing. I've got a learning development manager who we've hired this year to really focus on um, the End Dreams Academy that we launched earlier this year, um, but also to learn, focus on things like internal management training, um, you, you know, internal training development, that kind of thing. And then we've obviously got a, a recruitment team, uh, which currently consists of uh, two, two internal recruiters 
and we work with external agencies and also we do a lot do a lot of direct um, recruitment ourselves as well nice um so kicking off this discussion properly uh what i want to ask and it's quite a broad conversation is essentially the, the the question that this entire episode is aimed to ask is what are the biggest challenges in recruitment in games recruitment in 2021 now Obviously, the main answer is the coronavirus pandemic, but I kind of want to look beyond that as well. So, kind of stepping aside from just the complications by the you know the restrictions and lockdowns and all the different um, policies in place across different countries, the market in general, like what are the biggest challenges when it comes to recruiting new talent? I can talk from my perspective. It's like I work in Montreal, so it might be different from what you're like experiencing uh, right now. I think the biggest challenge for us is. Um, the small uh, amount of candidates for a big amount of studios. You know, there's uh, Montreal is really like a big hub for video game mm-hmm. companies. Uh, there's lots of them, and more and more are coming like every uh, every year. Um, so basically, we're all poaching each other. You know, like most uh, candidates have been to every video game studios in uh, in Montreal. So we're all looking for the same uh, kind of profiles. So for for like very hard to find positions, just for example, like data analysts and tech uh, tech artists, uh, we're all in competition with each other. And our our personal challenge is also that we're a mobile game studio. Um, it's a bit sometimes difficult like to to attract candidates uh, for this specific type of game because there's a lot of console uh, PC uh, video game companies in Montreal. Um, so we're in competition with them as well, but also new mobile games studios that come to Montreal. So I'd say that's the, the, the biggest challenge. COVID was not that much of a of a like deal for us in terms of recruiting. Like we we never stopped recruiting. Uh, we quickly adapted. Um, we even continued like recruiting uh, internationally. So of course the delays are way longer than they used to be. So that's a, a challenge as well. But other than that, I would say like the, the tough competition in Montreal is the, the biggest challenge for us. I was going to ask about that actually, because as you say, like Montreal is a massive hub for games development and, and primarily, at least I, I know it primarily for the studios that are console and, and AAA and PC kind of focused. Uh, Square Enix Montreal, obviously, as you say, focuses on mobile, which is it's the biggest sector of the games industry. But it sounds like the talent pool, particularly in Montreal, isn't as big as you would hope. Like, is it difficult? Like, kind of in in general, not not just specifically in Montreal, but in in the mobile industry in general, is it difficult to find like the the right candidates, the number of people you needed to, to hire? It's difficult to find people with mobile game experience in Montreal. Uh, in other cities, for example, Barcelona, uh, there's a lot more like um, mobile game studios. So mm. I find that there's more candidates with that experience. But in Montreal, it's difficult to to, to find, really. Well, kind of on a similar note, Tamsin, your um, Endream specializes in virtual reality. Uh, that is a, a smaller segment of the games market overall. So presumably a smaller pool of kind of experienced VR developers is that the case yeah that that can be a challenge but we don't always look for purely VR skills so we're happy to take console developers for example if people have got if people have got experience programming video games then we're happy to, we're happy to take them and then train them within the VR skill you know train them in the VR development so we're happy to train skills in-house as long as they've got the core fundamental skills that that we're looking for 
Um, but I think going back to your original question in terms of the, the, the key difficulties in, in terms of recruitment at the moment, I think that the point made earlier is that, yeah, everybody's looking for the same roles. It's a small, you know, there's limited supply in a large market and, and that makes it difficult. So we're all competing for the same types of roles. Um, there are skills gaps in, in niche areas. So, you know, you look at graphics programmers, technical arts, VFX, and we're all looking, we're all looking for those same, same particular type of skill sets. Um, so that's a challenge because it not only is it difficult to find them, but when you do find them, then the prices have gone up quite a lot and there's a lot of com- competition there. Um, but also I think in terms of the pipeline generally, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of youngsters coming through into the industry, lots and lots of graduates coming through um, from universities, but more than the, the industry actually has roles for them. So loads and loads of graduates that can't find jobs because we don't have enough entry-level jobs for them. And then when we've got more senior roles at the top end of the industry, we we can't necessarily fill them because we don't have the, the, the right skills or the right level of experience so that in itself is a challenge and and I think the industry needs to think about how we address that pipeline issue we could be talking about this on a on a future episode of the jobs cast but um I I know that there are some universities who kind of they basically encourage students to go out and graduates go out and just form their own studio from the off because there are so few jobs out there which on the one hand is like yeah brilliant means they're instantly in employment and and they gain business experience on the other hand that's like that's a heck of a risk like you just you're fresh fresh out of your exams and then now suddenly you're responsible for your own livelihood yeah I think it I think a lot of it depends on the individuals and the skills they've learned and and whether they can take that financial risk you know we know from the industry census that um, an awful lot of people within the industry have degrees and and potentially come from certain socioeconomic backgrounds I think that the barriers to entry to starting your own business and and being able to confident enough to take that risk that kind of approach might just perpetuate some of that social division Mm. okay I'm going to come back to you then like what's the the pipeline like in terms of graduates in Montreal like are, are there many kind of universities or colleges or like kind of educational institutions doing these kind of games design courses like in your area is that it, it, are there more more graduates than there are jobs i think there might be more graduates than there are entry-level jobs i think there's uh, the the same challenges as Tamsin. like we we have a lot of senior lead director roles to fill and not that many entry-level jobs but we do have like a, a really effective um internship program and a, a lot of our interns um, in the past have been converted to 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 junior roles, and it's working really well well for us because we do have like great universities uh, in Quebec and Canada in general. Uh, we have uh, different partnerships with with, the, with some of them, so it's a, it's a great way to to bring new talents. But we do not have that many entry level jobs, and the biggest challenge for us is really filling those senior lead director roles and this is where like the the war for talent is really going on i agree with that i think the entry level side is being addressed quite well with internships with kickstart roles um that into games have been helping with but it's that senior level the higher level that's difficult 
what's the what's the solution then like how how do we how do we nurture and encourage more senior level talent if we've if we've got all these graduates coming up from the bottom like plenty of, of potential talent at the entry level like how do we kind of future proof the industry and you know develop this kind of experienced senior type for, for future positions i think we have to focus or refocus on training and development within our own studios um you know mm. one of the aspects that we're focusing on uh, in dreams is is upskilling our staff and focusing on their own, their training and development needs and how they progress and and it it's difficult when you're a, when you're a really small studio of 10 20 30 all of your money and your time and your investment goes on delivering products it can't go on anything else because you just have no you've got no spare capacity um, and no no extra resources whether that's time money anything you just it's just not possible it certainly wasn't our experience and as we've developed over the years and gone from 30 to 15 and now 100 plus um honestly hasn't really changed that much we've still not got a huge amount of, of time capacity um but actually we have to make time you have to make um space and resource in order to invest in the team otherwise you can't you're not going to retain them and you just end up with this constant cycle of people hiring people and then they'll leave so you have to think about well you know you want to develop them you want to promote them you want you want to develop your team into those leaders of the future into the more senior roles and the lead roles and the directors of the future and I think by doing that that's how you fill those um, potential positions but it takes time and sometimes when you've got uh, you know a massive project to fill you've got this balance and, and that can be quite tricky. I really agree with what uh, Tamsin said and we, we really focus on training our employees and we want them to grow within the studio rather than like, you know, getting the promotion at another studio. You know, there's a lot of competition, so we really want to make time for that. And it's difficult when you have games to ship to find that time. But I think, yeah, you know, our, our producers, our managers are really aware that we need to invest in our talent. So we've really we've done a we've done a lot of improvements on that. We've we started, you know, working on the on defining the role of our managers and you know defining two paths. You can either be like a manager of people or um, more of a technical lead. Uh, we've now given the option to our employees and it's been super well received. Um, and yeah, providing training to those new managers as well, because a lot of them have been promoted um, really early on in their career and had no no training. So like you have to to learn to be a good manager because uh, a lot of people leave or stay because of their manager. They're, this has a huge impact on your um, you know daily work. So this is where we, we try to to focus right now to to improve retention as well. Um, and so yeah, that's it. Sarah, we're going to take a slightly different tack because obviously you, you work for a publisher. Um, so slightly different area. We've, we've been talking about kind of the the talent pipeline for development um, and specifically mobile and, and VR. Um, does the recruitment process differ for publishers? I ask that because obviously you're you're looking at kind of a broader range of skills, like the 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 process of bringing a product to market through a publisher is similar in games that it is to say 
you know, books, film, music, TV, etc. There are other industries where people can kind of gain experience. So presumably that means you have a broader range of people you can potentially recruit. Yeah, I think um, as a publisher, we have the challenge of being, we're not as close to the actual game development. Um, and in a sense, a lot of people want to work uh, close to the coal mine in the day-to-day working on the game. So we have the challenge of, um, of bringing people in to work slightly further away from the game but the benefits we have working at the publisher is that we work on a multitude of different games. I think when when you say about um, different type of skills, I think we're all gamers at the end of the day, and we all have to have a passion for good games. Um, I think you know, I think that's a key part of working for a publisher, especially when we're looking to to sign titles or working with developers uh, to make sure that the, that the development's on track and it's fun. And we're hitting all those milestones. Um, I think uh, when we're recruiting. Especially when we're looking at, say, a publishing producer compared to like an internal producer, they're very different skills, really. Um, and say, they uh, it's a lot more say hands-on with with managing the teams when you're a developer, whereas the publisher, you're working with different external um, stakeholders and developers. It's a different, slightly different skill set from uh, from a management point of view. I think I'd just echo some of those points as well we're actually a publisher as well as a developer so we have marketing and um those kind of roles too and, and comms roles and things and fundamentally the the talent is all creative talent and you know you're looking for the same things when you're hiring so typically you're looking for people and behaviors that represent your brand and represent your company and you want them to have the skills and the, and the talent to do the role, but it, mainly you want them to be able to represent you and you want, to, you want them to fit in with your values. And I think that whether you're recruiting for publishing or development or operations, you know, whether it's HR or whoever, that the process of recruitment is the same across the board. We've spoken a lot kind of about competition. You've, you've been talking about how kind of the the difficulty of kind of fighting, particularly um, you, Agat, like talking about the, the fighting with the other studios to kind of get the best talent. What is it a, a games company can do to kind of differentiate himself? Like when, when when you're all hiring for very kind of similar roles, you know, um, Marvelous will be hiring for similar roles to other publishers, you know, both End Dreams and Square Enix Montreal will be hiring for similar roles to other developers. What is it that differentiates your company? And I, I'll preface that by like, I'm not asking for a specific list of benefits that people at your company get, largely because that will probably make me jealous of all the benefits that people get as development companies. But I mean, in general, what can a company do to kind of differentiate, differentiate itself and say, yeah, no, we are the better place to apply for or to want to work for? Yeah, like uh, I think our main, like, um selling points other than the great projects we're making of course is like the the focus on the balance between professional and personal life um we we put a huge emphasis um on our people our employees and we we want them to feel good in the company and we of course it comes with you know we have good benefits but uh, also we we really try to um to respect our people's time to not you know do crazy overtime to uh you know you hear crazy stories about crunch and so on it's very different uh, at our studio um and uh, really especially during the the pandemic i think it was um more than ever super important to take care of your employees 
you know, like it took a, a toll on a lot of people. So we've really um, tried to, to communicate, communicate more about our uh, what we do to make life better for our employees. Um, so it, it, it came with, you know, like uh, uh, doing conferences on, you know, how to deal with your stress uh, during, you know, the, the pandemic, uh, how to have a better balance uh, in your life. Um, what else? Um, and yeah, trying to, to really educate the managers as well and the producers like to... Um, to give their their employees time to to rest and to not put too much stress on them, and uh, I think our other super like good selling point is that we have small teams uh, compared to big like AAA game studios in Montreal uh, with more than three thousand employees. We were one hundred and seventy, uh, and I think we've been able like to to go get those uh, uh, console PC um, candidates by you know like uh, uh, focusing on you know uh, you're gonna work in a small team you're gonna everything you do have, is gonna have a, a huge impact on the projects um, and uh, yeah this is how we we've managed to to differentiate ourselves uh, because yes we're a small studio but we're also backed up by a huge company you know which is uh, Square Enix so um, yeah it really, really really helped each studio needs to focus on its usp whatever that might be so you know we would focus on the fact that we're a vr specialist we're a vr developer and publisher and um you know in terms of in terms of the uk and where we are then um there aren't many others of those around so we would um focus on the the games that we're developing and the um you know the platforms that we're working on and the exciting partnerships that we have with the likes of Oculus, PlayStation, you know, some of those big hitters within the industry. And we would talk about that. Now, in terms of our kind of company and our culture and the benefits that we offer, then obviously we would we would um, kind of advertise those facts and go through all of those and make sure that we were representing ourselves in a way to really demonstrate who we are and what we stand for and and convey the culture that we have within the studio and the business and I think that that's what every studio needs to do you know there's no one game developer that's the same um they've all got their own um pros and cons and you know whenever I'm talking to maybe a student that's thinking about what they want to do for their career I'm always saying to them, you have to find your home. You have to find your fit. You might find a AAA developer and and it might be perfect for you or a little indie studio might be perfect for you. It depends on your personality and what your preferences are and whether you want to be, um, you know, somebody that has overall responsibility for end-to-end on a small project or whether you actually just want to to be a part of a much bigger team. So I think that, you know, ultimately a company can just has to know who they are and explain who they are. And, you know, then individual candidates and, you know, job applicants will either be swayed by you or they won't. The, the, the most important thing is don't be disingenuous, don't make false promises and don't don't mislead people into thinking that you're something that you're not because there's nothing worse for people than 
joining a studio and finding out that they've been misled. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, um, so we are the smaller of the of the three arms of Marvelous, um, and so I think we have a more we have more hands on deck approach at Marvelous, and you know we work on you know with our um, with our like, with our appraisals and making sure that people are doing the roles that they want to do and what career path they want to follow, and we have you know people will move around if they feel that their passion is if, if people move from production to marketing or, or vice versa. It's we have to, we make sure that. Um, there's a level of flexibility. So we're all working from home at the moment and whether we fully return to the office, depending on the department, um, will depend on, on the people really and what, and what they want. Um, and uh, that's the sort of flexibility we'll offer when we look to hire. Is that, I think a lot of people these days want to move, now they've had a taste of the pandemic and work from home, that a lot of people from who I've spoken to don't really want to return to an office of full-time capacity. Uh, I think um, offering that a little bit of uh, flexibility would go a long way with some people I have talking to people who uh, are now being encouraged to go back into the offices and um, who are hiring and sold, well, this will be eventually fully back in the office. Uh, offering that something, that flexibility, I think is a, a good selling point, as it were. We've, we've dodged around the, the coronavirus as, as much as possible, purely because I think I think it's dominated every conversation uh, for the past year. But it's probably worth talking about. Like, yeah, the this is something that's been debated for about for about a year, certainly since the the the, the, the initial shift to remote working and people discovering, ah, oh, actually, hang on, we can do ninety nine percent of our jobs at home. Like, this is this is okay. This is working. Um, but do you want to get your individual thoughts on then, yeah, like the future of work? Is it, is it that hybrid model of, you know, office-based and remote-based with a bit of flexibility in between depending on the individual's needs? I hear, always hear from did some developers like that the remote working like just will never replace that kind of that collaboration and creative dynamic of being all in a studio together. Therefore, you'll never have a, a development studio go 100% remote. I, I just want to get your thoughts on this. Um, I'm, yeah, I think we, we all face the, the same challenges and uh, we've, uh, it was really quick when it happened, you know, we had two weeks to, you know, transform and be completely remote. And before that, we were not, um, we did not really have this option to do so. We didn't have the tools in place, uh, nor like the, 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 the good practices, you know, we, we, we didn't know, we didn't know what the, how to to make sure communication was not you know impaired by, by this so we had a lot of work uh, to do i think after a year it's it we're really at a point where it's working really well um but i think a lot of people are missing this human connection um and you, you can feel that the studio cohesion which was one of our main strengths you know at the studio it's, it's diff more difficult to get a hold of like to, to really feel it because we used to do you know lots of events every milestone with a was a good excuse like to to do a, i don't know a brunch or a small party uh uh, and after work, we call it cinq à sept in Quebec. But um, yeah, so this is really something that we we're looking forward to to, to do again. Um, but uh, I think when we've asked our employees, like, what would be the best option for you? There was not a consensus. Like, it was not like you know unanimously. Oh, I want to come back five days a week, or I want to come back one day a week. It's really super split, you know. So. 
we're still, you know, in the process of figuring out what's the best solution. Uh, but I also think that it's not possible to to please everyone. Um, yeah, so that's where we're at at the, at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, like uh, Tamsin said, it took a toll on a lot of people' mental health. So we had to to also adapt. Uh, and find try to find solutions like to give people tools uh, a way to to cope with that. So you know, we've increased the the amount of money reimbursed for uh, mental health special, specialists. Um, we've given some time off, you know, one Monday off every two weeks to to give people time to rest. Because some people, you know, in the COVID context, never took their vacation. So like if you never to take your vacation at some point, you're gonna you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a breaking point. So a lot of communication uh, on vacation, like take take time off. I know you can't travel, but, you know, like Montreal has great parks. Go for it. Just chill, play video game all, all day. Um, so, yeah. And also like uh, giving uh, training or advice to managers on how to best communicate with, with their team. Um, and now we're in the process of, you know, uh, thinking about what is, what is it going to be if it, if you're if we're going hybrid? You know, some people are going to be at the office, some people are going to be remote. How do you make sure there's no communication lost? You know, um, we still I don't think we've we've found the solution already, but we're definitely working super hard on that. I think from a publisher's point of view, say we work with Japanese developers, um, European developers, and we work with the USA team. But you know, we can work from anywhere really. In our communication tools, we're working with them on you know, on in email, on video. That uh, we don't really need to be in an office in order to do that constantly. I think it's probably a bit different when you've got a development team that are working closely together. But uh, from a publishing point of view, we we can work flexibly from from home, and we've been managed to do that. I think I feel like I'm actually more productive from home without that sort of hour or so commute than than I was in in an office. I think from a, a development perspective, I think most companies have found they went from being predominantly office-based to working from home. They lifted their operation up from one location to a distributed workforce. And it took them a few months to really acclimatise to being fully remote because all they did was just move everything remote without adapting the processes and changing the systems and you know it took a little while for everyone to realize okay well actually we need to we need to change the way we do things now that we're all distributed then everybody's got used to being remote and it's you know started to work well and and things have have kind of improved in that respect and now we're moving to a different kind of uh, normal for a lot of companies we'll be moving to a, a hybrid model where we are um, both office and and remote um, all staff will, will kind of work in hybrid way um, and we found that certain elements of the development process absolutely work really really well remotely and then other other elements work really really well when everybody's in the same room now the the increase in tools that have been created for distributed workforces um, make it so you know do make it so much easier Um, but you can't sometimes make up for um, just human interaction generally if you're a you know if you are an extrovert person um, you know we saw 
an increase in mental health problems with people that were lonely or anxious or perhaps feeling a little bit depressed. Um, and then when you you know when you talk about bringing juniors into companies and training them and developing them, you know they have to learn from someone. They need the, that mentorship and development. And you can absolutely train people in a distributed way. But when somebody's not sat next to you and doesn't have that opportunity to say, oh, but what about that? But what about that? Then you don't necessarily catch all of those um, support things that you might that you might do if you were sat next to each other in a room. You can obviously have teams on open all, all day, um, but the nuance can be a little bit different. And I, we found with some of our juniors, they didn't necessarily want to contact um, more senior people on on teams because they didn't want to interrupt their work and things like that. Now that's obviously it was a new experience for everybody and education and, and improved communications can really help that. Um, but for us, we've decided that that hybrid is definitely the way to go. And I do know some companies who are, are moving to remote, but they're moving to remote because they feel they have to because of the recruitment climate rather than because they want to. And I think, you know, ultimately, I think as long as a company is making a decision about what they want their company to look like in the future and they're making it because they believe in it, then I think everything's going to work. But I think if they're not quite sure what they want and they're just falling into it, that may be where we have a problem. Um, But for me, I see, see the future as, a combination of hybrid and remote companies. And I think ultimately, as long as we give more autonomy to our staff and we empower them to make choices for themselves, then I think that that's where everyone will be winning. Mm. So um, I had a a recent hire this year that um, obviously joined us. Uh, I never technically met her in in person. Um, And we did all of our interview over sort of um, over video. and it's a challenge to get to know the real person without being in, in a room with them. But um, I think we got there. And uh, once she joined us, again, not being there to be able to show her the hardware that we work, that we work with in terms of development tools um, was, again, a slight, only a slight challenge, which was easy, easy to overcome with. Uh, we did a lot of screen sharing um, and uh, video calls to go through things. Um, and in fact, we use... Um, Slack on a day-to-day basis. It's actually quite easy to annotate and draw on the video on while you're working together. So I'm saying, no, you need to go over here and over here and press this button. And um, it's really helped uh, learning software and learning uh, tools and and things by being able to just essentially draw on her screen, um, which I probably wouldn't do if I was in an office. <laughs> but it's been a lot of um, just being available uh, as a manager constantly for questions and check-ins and making sure that the, everyone from the team has an opportunity to have one-to-ones with them to sort of get to know each other and, and who we are as a business. So we we refurbished our office during lockdown with the new normal in, in mind. So we've got a lot more collab spaces rather than just rows of desks and things. And so that's quite nice. And we've got about maybe 15 to 20% of the staff coming in on in a hybrid way. So not there all the time, but sometimes. And so we are working, working quite, it's working quite well. We're experimenting with that smaller number and then gradually we'll be rolling it out to more of the staff as time goes on. Um, but it's amazing how much cake you eat when you're in the office. 
My my office at the moment is the kitchen, so it's amazing how much cake I eat as well. <laughs> well another thing I wanted to talk about then was the, the challenges of onboarding. Um, and that is both kind of, um, you know, in terms of the pandemic, when you're, you're hiring people from uh, a remote location, because obviously not everyone's uh, back at the office, how do you kind of give people a feel for your company and, and get a good feel for the candidate yourselves um, and bring them on board. But equally, like kind of just in general, like, you know, the, the, even before all of this pandemic and lockdown stuff, like the, the process of onboarding and just, yeah, easy, finding the right person and making sure they settle in like quickly and kind of get up to speed. Yeah, for sure. It can be done. And, but it was a working in progress. It took a, a few months like to get our rhythm going and to find what worked and what didn't. Uh, but I think we we found it. Uh, we you know the on your first day you have a, uh, an onboarding first with HR for everything that's admin, and then you have an onboarding with the the person in charge of communication at the studio, who's really more like here like to to talk about the the work environment, uh, our values, and so on, and also there to get their feedback on the onboarding process. Uh, it really helps like to actually ask the new employees. What did you like? What did you not like? What worked? What didn't? Um, and also, uh, every new employee meets the head of studio uh, on their first week. Uh, we've managed to, to keep that. Um, uh, it's called the Fresh Eye Meeting. Uh, but basically, it's also there like to, to talk about our values because we redefine them this year. And to talk about the vision he has for the studio, uh, uh, what we're planning. So it's really like to make sure that everyone is uh, well, um, you know, on board and has a clear uh, vision of where we're going. Um, and, you know, of course, the, we, we, uh, we've told the managers like to keep doing um, welcome lunch. Uh, of course, they're virtual, but, you know, we, we give them vouchers like to, to, to order food. Um, they do lots and lots of zoom meetings basically your first days you meet everyone you're also assigned a buddy um when you get there so it's really like you're a sign person that's gonna help you if you have like you know uh, when you start you have a lot of questions sometimes you're scared to ask them but really this person is there like to reassure you even if you think it's a stupid question you know ask ask it you know uh, do we have a slack channel dedicated to posting pet pictures yes we do there you go i'm gonna add it add you to it um and also uh we've managed to keep the our show and tell tradition so basically every friday is at 4 p.m it was beer time at the studio beer and wine time uh, and soda of course uh, but now we do it via zoom but basically everyone at the studio connects uh, so more than 150 people connect to a zoom meeting and um, usually it starts with a, a talk from our head of studio, Patrick, who's, you know, announcing like events to come, uh, what's next for the studio. But then we have updates on the project. Uh, they give us, you know, uh, a glimpse of what they're working on at the moment, where they're at. Um, it could also be, you know, if you want to talk about any subject, you can also do it. It's just a way like to all connect and to be there together to see all the new faces. This is also where the, the new employees of the week are presented. It's the way for them to, to introduce themselves. So this is how we've uh, tried to, to deal with, uh, with this. And it's been working uh, really well. Um, but I think more than 50 to 70 people at the studio have never been to the studio. Every, everyone we've hired during the pandemic, because we haven't opened back yet, like they've never seen the studio. Uh, 
they've never seen their colleagues in real life. Um, but now the situation is getting better in Montreal. So we're going to try to encourage teams to meet maybe, you know, outside in a park to, to maybe actually see each other. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, a lot of people are looking forward to, to see the studio and to see their team in real life. I just have to agree with that, really. So it's it's easy to to train staff, but to find someone who is capable and and uh, confident and um, willing to learn and has that drive is that is a that magic spark that you need to find. So onboarding has actually been a real focus for us this year. So um, when I had our learning and development manager at the start of the year. Um, one is one of his first briefs was to define uh, effectively a full onboarding program. In the past, we've we've had it, it's been quite good, but we've now digitised all of the onboarding, so employees get all of the paperwork in advance, and they they can um, you know they can read all the policies in advance of joining us. So that their first day isn't spent with reams and reams of handbooks and things and documents that they have to try and take in on the first day. Um, and so now on the first day, they get a, a, an induction to the company with a, a bit about our history, a bit about VR, the market, the organisation. Um, and then they get a run through of their, their department and their manager and how things are going to work, plus the, the health and safety side of things. And that can work either um, on, online or it can be in person, depending on where the, where the new person's going to be working. So, so we've been finding that's that's worked really well. And actually, um, I had some feedback the other day from one of our team who joined, I think he joined about three months ago. And he said he said he's only met two people in person because um, he's only been down to the office once, but he still feels like he totally knows the, the company culture, he knows our vision and values, and he, he kind of knows what we stand for. And that's that was even before being in the building or anything like that. So I think it's working really well. We're quite pleased with how that, that kind of process has worked. So I think it, it can be done. We're running a little bit low on time, so I'm going to limit myself to two more questions, if I may. Um, one fairly broad is... Uh, from your various perspectives, like how has the the way that companies find talent, the places they look for jobs, um, changed over the last say five to ten to ten years? And within that, I was going to ask, kind of, how has the role of recruitment agencies changed? Do your companies use those? Like, yeah, how how do companies find the talent they need? I think that the, the yeah the role of recruiters has changed over the last few years. You know, we've got an internal recruitment function within our business. Um, that that processes a lot of direct applications. You know, we advertise our own roles, and we um, have a lot of candidates that come direct to us. Um, and we also, you know, do our own outreach. And we do well when we could. We did our own event, went to events, and met people that way, and um, built a lot of direct relationships. Um, but recruiters absolutely absolutely do have a really big part to play in recruitment as well and and we see them as a complementary part of the relationship to hiring and um you know we've got direct relationships um with two or three recruiters within the industry i don't have a massive list list that i rely on but a few key relationships who I'm really happy that they represent us and that they source on our behalf. Um, for those roles, 
which are very much niche skills, hard to source, take a long time. And then that frees up my internal team to be focusing on the, you know, the slightly easier roles. Uh, as for us, we're a team of four recruiters um, and we were assigned by projects, uh, but we're looking, we have more than 25 positions open at the moment. Um, so sometimes we're really hard to fill uh, roles such as DevOps. Um, we work with recruiting agencies, um, but like like Tamsin, we we have a short list. I work with maybe two, two, three of them, um, but on really strategic and key uh, roles. Um, we also take part in recruiting events uh, quite uh, quite a bit. Um, it was a bit more challenging during COVID because they were all virtual, and I found that there were less attendees. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is how we work. We do a lot of sourcing on LinkedIn as well. This hasn't changed. But it's difficult to find time to to do it, and this is where recruiting agencies can can help us for sure. Last question then was going to be uh, just generally, what advice would you give to any companies who are looking to recruit in twenty twenty one? What is the thing that most people need to keep in mind? Um, my advice would be hire for behaviours and values of individuals um, because technical skills. I mean, clearly they need some basis of technical skill, but fundamentally you can enhance somebody's skills and you can develop and you can train them, but you can't change. It's it's really quite difficult to change inherent behaviours within individuals. So if somebody doesn't match the values of the business or the behaviours that you look for within your teams, then that's going to be quite a difficult match. So you might have a, an artistic genius, um, but if they're not a good collaborator, for example, and that's how you run your business, then that's potentially going to be a problem that you're going to have to deal with later on. So um, for me, it's about find the right behaviours um, and look to train train the skills. Exactly. Um, might take a bit longer to find someone that's a perfect fit for the for the team and for the values of the companies, but it's definitely worth it. Um, you're gonna have more more success with the retention. They're gonna stay longer. They're gonna really have a positive influence on the team. And you know, every everyone can can receive technical training, and we give time to people to 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 ramp up. We do not expect them to to be a hundred effective from day one. We we take this ramp up ramp up time into into accounts and we're definitely uh, more inclined to to onboard someone with the right attitude and the right values rather than someone who's just like a technical expert but definitely not the right fit for the team it's not easy when a line manager has a product to ship and they just need a technical whiz on the project they're going to want that talented genius that doesn't work with anyone so sometimes there is conflict between recruitment and development or you know the line manager whichever in whichever element of the business is and you have to work out how you prioritize the situation you're in but it's so it's really important to know up front before you start the hiring process what your criteria is before you you know and how you're going to select so make sure your recruitment team and your line managers are on the same page before you start the process. 
thank you so much for your time uh all of you that's been that's been absolutely brilliant um that is all we've got time for this week thank you so much for listening we can be back next thursday with another jobs cast uh we're going to be looking at recruiting the next generation so talking about future talent students graduates diving a bit more into that side of things uh in the meantime you can find more jobs related content on games.biz as part of our guest job in games month and you can find more news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz Thank you.